Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Peter chapter number two. I'm going to begin reading with verse number four. Down to verse number eight. The Bible says, to whom coming, we're speaking about the Lord here, coming to the Lord. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Amen. A lot of talking about stones and rocks here tonight. And so I want to talk to us tonight along these lines. Question mark. Is, it's a question. Stepping stone or stumbling stone? Stepping stone or stumbling stone? I know there's stumbling block, but I was in the stone vein. So stepping stone or stumbling stone? Same meaning, nonetheless. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you, Jesus, tonight. I pray, oh Lord, touch every mind and every heart. God, I pray, oh Lord, everything of today that may have people's minds, Lord, scattered. Oh Lord Jesus, here and there, I pray, Lord, bring them, God, into focus right now to the word of the Lord. I pray, oh God, that you're able to bring my own mind, Lord, into focus right now. God, upon Lord Jesus, the subject matter, Lord, of the hour, help us, God, to glean from your scriptures, learn from those scriptures. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Stepping stone or stumbling stone. I guess I could have called this God's rock collection. <laughs> nah. Uh, with everything that's spoken of, because you see stones uh, virtually in every verse that I read to you uh, here this evening. It also makes some, a person wonder, since this is coming from the Apostle Peter, it also makes me... Personally, I think back to the time whenever uh, Peter was first called ever Peter instead of Simon by the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name Peter means rock. And I wonder if there's any of that even coming into play here with Peter. But the Lord here in Scripture, in verse number 4, he is described as a living stone. A living stone. And then we, in turn, in the very next verse, are described as lively Stones. It's almost as the scripture portrays in other epistles. Because he lives, uh, we shall live also. He's a living stone and we are lively stones. We could literally say in the sense of being Christians and being uh, sons of God that we are chips off the old block, uh, if you will, through the new birth experience. And there seems to be a progression. Again, we are constantly in this study reaching backward and bringing things that we've already learned into what we're learning uh, at the present time. So there seems to be a progression that as a Christian, after our new birth experience, as we looked at last week then, we should desire the pure word of God because, verse 3 said in chapter 2, we have tasted of the Lord. And so in other words, that initial taste that we have of the Lord draws us uh, in many measures, to him. And when we come to verse number four, us coming to him, that coming to him, when we come to him, we assume his identity. He's a living stone and we become lively stones. 
We assume his identity. And so we become a part of him. And we are built up then individually and collectively for all those that are a part of the body of Christ. We are built up a spiritual house that the Bible says that serves the Lord. Meaning we, we enter into roles as the Bible describes it as, as the priesthood and we are doing sacrifices. All of those things that serve the Lord. Amen. And here's another thing though. Since we identify with the Lord... Uh, any backlash that the Lord gets, guess who else gets it? We do. Because we have identified with him. We've become a part of him. And so the stone that we come to is not only a lively or living stone, but the Bible describes that Jesus Christ as even the chief cornerstone, which was chosen and precious. Now, him being the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone of this culture and day was the first stone that was laid. It's the first stone that was laid. It's the stone by which every other stone is going to be put in alignment with that stone. The first stone is what squares up anything else that comes in contact with it. It is the point of origin. It is where the structure is going to get its identity, if you will. So that is the chief cornerstone that we are talking about when we speak of Christ Jesus. Uh, Peter is not the only one to write about this. The Apostle Paul wrote about this well. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, the Bible states this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. We've seen that terminology here in Peter as well. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I believe Paul is relaying something very similar that Peter has relayed, that when we are born again, we are strangers and foreigners in the world, but when we are born again, at the same time, we become a part of a family, the family of God, where we are not strangers, where we are not foreigners to each other. And so, uh, you know, Christians many times, uh, becoming a Christian, we've discussed this a long way, Christians lose their position in society, the society in which they live whenever they have the new birth experience. But their loss doesn't come without a gain. They gain a position and they gain a society, if you will, being linked with Christians. And here's the big thing. It's not just Christians of their age. It's Christians of every age, even leading up to theirs and those that will go beyond their age. So they become a part of a body that is so expansive. And together they become as Peter will say, a spiritual house. Look at verse 23 of Ephesians, or verse 20 of Ephesians 2. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, all right? Jesus Christ himself being the chief, here it is again, cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It's interesting because we have all these type of different phrases such as house of God, household of God, grow up into a holy temple in the Lord, the habitation of God. Peter talks about a spiritual house. And all these have a little bit of ambiguity because not only are we God's temple, the Bible speaks about, no, you're not, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Not only are we God's temple, a place where God's spirit can dwell as individuals, we are God's temple as a collective mass as well. Amen. You and I together, we make up the temple of God collectively. But even greater than just this fact of some spiritualized house that God can indwell, we are the household of God. That means we are the family of God. So we're not just an edifice as it would relate, but we are also God's family. Amen, that, that he resides in and that he is a part of. And here is the big uh, flashing neon light, though. You cannot be a part of a spiritual house if you do not have the Spirit. You cannot be a part of the spiritual house if you've not been born of the Spirit. All right? And so many things, and this is important, and, and I guess it is because of the society in which we live in. How many has ever heard someone say, well, you know, I, I believe that, you know, I, I kind of lean on the fact that we, we need to really look at the New Testament Scripture. The Old Testament was for back whenever, and, you know, kind of uh, undercutting the importance of the Old Testament about whether or not it's even relevant, you know, for us. It's like, well, I'm more of a New Testament person. Folks, 
we already so far in into the book here of 1 Peter, there are so many times he has referenced an Old Testament passage that it blows my mind. I mean, many things that Peter is speaking about, even right here in the verses that I read you to, to you tonight, are found in the Old Testament. And so while every other individual or sometimes want to write off the Old Testament, they better recognize that much of the New Testament Scripture is nothing more but quoting or restating something that was from where? The Old Testament. So if you're going to fall in love with the New Testament, you just fell in love with the Old because much of the quoting and restating in the New is from the Old. And so look at the passages that Peter uh, requotes or states. Uh, Psalms 118 and verse 22, you see some of the same verbiage. You can see where he's getting his material. It's from the Old Testament. He says, the stone which the builders refused, the Bible says in Psalms, has become the head of the corner. Now that sounds real familiar to Peter talking about it was the stone that was disallowed by men, right? Amen. Uh, not only that, and then this is important, they disallowed the chief cornerstone, the most important stone in the building, the one from which it gets its squareness and supports, you know, the, the very start of its structure. That's the one that they reject. The builders reject the, very, the most important stone. Yet people somehow have a way of rejecting that aspect in their life. God, if you will, the most important piece you know, of this thing that we call life. Going on, Isaiah 28 and 16. Again, Peter is quoting from there. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion. This is almost identical. Uh, the wording a little bit different with verse 6 in our reading. For a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He can't, you know, reiterate that enough. You know, he that believeth shall not make haste. And so as we're coming to this stone, this living stone, Jesus Christ, we're coming to a stone that was disallowed by men, but on the flip side, it was, he was chosen by God. God chose Christ, amen, to come down and do what he did. So he's rejected or disallowed by men, but on the flip side, he is chosen by God. And so as we are coming, here's, here's the, the thought process, as we're coming to this living stone that's been disallowed and rejected by men, you join in and being rejected because you are gravitating toward what they've disallowed. I, I mean, it, it, rocket science is not needful to figure that out. We put our lives in opposition to a great proportion of men, even of Jesus' day, because he was rejected by them. And so if you are going to cling to something that they reject, you're going to be rejected too. Amen. And so there's no wonder if you begin to think about it, then why is there this persecution? Boom. They went running to the disallowed stone, that's why. Why, why is it that, that they feel like a stranger and a pilgrim? Because they're being ostracized by everybody that's rejected the living stone, if you will. And, and, and whenever you do that, whenever you do that, you've accepted then the rejection of men. But at the same time, at the same time, don't want to leave you in the, the valley of despair. You may have received the rejection of men, but in the same moment, you received the choice of God. Amen. That's what God chose. And when you gravitate towards that, then you receive, if you will, the choice of God. Amen. And so we can live our lives in harmony with God because of that choice. Now, last week, everybody say last week. I know so long ago. Last week, we talked about there's this little bit of crossing over there toward the end of our lesson. We talked about this crossing over between Christ and the word about how some had a hard time deciphering, you know, this Christ, but they're one and the same, Christ and the Word. Uh, basically, this crossing over, meaning that you cannot, you cannot respect one without respecting the other. Uh, there is not a divergence that you can be respectful toward the Lord and you can be disrespectful towards His Word or vice versa because there is that crossing over because they are one and the same. Again, John told us that that Word became flesh. Amen. And so it's kind of similar uh, and then I, I lean on this private story a lot, but it's kind of the Old Testament story of whenever Saul had done incorrectly in the sight of God and had not destroyed all the Amalekites. And then he wants Samuel, he says, Samuel, turn with me and worship. And Samuel told him, I'm not going to turn with you to worship because you rejected the word of the Lord. And so it's the same scenario. How can, how can you quote unquote worship God when you're rejecting God's word? 
It just don't work that way. If you've rejected God's word, you've rejected God. You rejected that. So they are so interconnected. And so when we come to verses 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8, it tells us how they rejected the Lord or how they rejected Christ. They did so by disobeying the word. Mm -hmm. They did so by disobeying. So I never did anything to the Lord. Well, have you obeyed his word? No, you, you did it to the Lord. They did it by disobeying the word. So Peter speaks. He speaks then of these people that they stumbled at this living stone. They stumbled at this living stone. They should be building upon and, and getting their alignment from this living stone, but they have stumbled on this living stone. They stumbled upon it, and the Bible says to them, those that are doing the stumbling, it's become a rock of offense to them. Woo! Huh? You... you you, you, the offended people are the ones that are not obedient to the word. Becomes a rock of offense to them because they stumble, the scripture says, at the word or they are disobedient to the word. But for those who believe, the scripture says in those verses, for those who believe that same stone, amen, that is a rock of offense or a stumbling stone to others is a precious stone. So what it comes down to is this, Christ, stumbling stone or stepping stone, Christ is a stumbling stone to those that reject him, but a stepping stone to those that accept him. He's a stumbling stone to those that, don't dis, that, to those that disobey his word, but he's a stepping stone, like in verse number two, those that desire his word as a newborn babe desires milk. They grow there, abide. They are built up into a spiritual house. He is a stepping stone to them. And so we have the presentation of Christ. He's only going to be one of two things in your life, a stepping stone or a stumbling stone. And he is what he is to you by how you receive him. Amen. Because when we desire the word, like verse 2 says, and we grow thereby, and we come then to Christ and we assume his identity, we, he's a living stone, we become lively stones, and we get built up because he's the chief cornerstone, and we're making our alignment there, and we're putting our, our burden upon him there. We're built up as a spiritual house. But when we stumble at his word, we will always see him rock of offense. Stumbling stone, whenever we have that type of perspective. Now look at verse, look at verse number eight. This, this is a little interesting here. The Bible says, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Whereunto also they, that is the disobedient ones, were appointed. When, they dis, when you disobey God's word, when you disobey God, you are appointed then to stumbling. This is not saying that from the beginning of God time, God has predestined people to stumble. No. What this is saying is this. He's presented as a living stone. And the outcome of everybody's trajectory after coming in contact with that stone will be based upon whether they accepted him or they rejected him. And they that reject him or are disobedient to his word are appointed then unto stumbling. Amen. Someone say amen. So the setting of the stone appoints some people to growing and some to stumbling. Again, all based upon their response to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their response, he, he is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself. He is presented as the stone. You either coming to him or you walking by him say, you offend me. <laughs> Amen. Look at the Bible. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus speaking here. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus saith unto them. Here's this same, same concept and idea being talked about again by Jesus. Did ye never read in the scriptures? He's referring to the Old Testament, but this is in the New Testament. I just, for some reason, that's a horse I'm riding tonight. Um, did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing. 
and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Look at verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, what stone? The stone he was just talking about, the stone that the builders rejected. The stone that became the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, just walk with me here. Verse 44, whosoever shall fall on this stone. Now, this is not people falling on a stone like they tripped over a stone and fell on a stone like they stumbled on a stone. The word fall here means whosoever shall light on or alight or land on a stone this chief cornerstone, this living stone, shall be broken. Again, it's not, it's not relaying a stumbling. It's like there's a stone. I land on it. I light on it. I fall on it. Shall be broken. Now, it's someone finding their position on a stone, landing on a stone, and being broken. Now, just, just, just walk with me here just a little bit here. Brother McGee, why in the world would we want to jump on the stone, run to God as the lively stone, and land on him and break? Whenever Peter, whenever Peter speaks in verse 5 of us also being lively stones, that word stones in the Greek is not talking about rocks in their natural state, but it's talking about Rocks that are prepared by a craftsman for a purpose. And so in order for us to jump on, fall on the chief cornerstone, there has to be some breaking of us. Some chiseling, if you will, on us in order for us to be able to be placed in our purpose and plan that God has for us. You're not the same person that you were when you first met the stone. Mm-hmm. No, in many regards, you fell on the stone and you became broken in some places you weren't broken before. But that brokenness wasn't to your demise. That brokenness was for your fitting in with the chief cornerstone. Is someone hearing me right now? Amen. And he says, so if you, if you, back to Matthew, he says, whoever falls on this stone shall be broken. Broken. Not all brokenness is a bad brokenness. Because whenever we find our placement, amen, in regards to Jesus Christ, find our placement in regards to the chief cornerstone, folks, listen, it's going to require some breaking in our life. It's going to require some breaking in our life because it's the breaking that can prepare us to fit where we need to fit in the body of God as the bride of Christ in the spiritual house of the Lord because he has a purpose for us, a purpose that's bigger than where we are right now. Amen. But the contrast then is this. It's the contrast is between being broken or being ground to powder, being crushed. The disobedient, they stumble. Verse 9 tells us more about the obedient, but the disobedient stubble and it tells us what they were appointed to, don't it? Amen. It tells us that the disobedient were appointed to then the stumbling. And so that's fine. Well, it's not, but you understand what I'm, <laughs> what I, what I'm saying when I say that. But the obedient, the obedient, they are also appointed to something. That's what verses 9 and 10 bring about. So you fall on a stone. There's some breaking that happens as a result of putting you chiseled, disalignment with the chief cornerstone. But if you allow it to fall upon you, it's going to crush you, amen, without amends. But whenever you're disobedient, you're appointed to stumbling. But whenever you're obedient to God and his word, verses 9 and 10 tell us what those type of people are appointed to. He says, but ye, which is contrasting, amen, those that were disobedient, but ye, the obedient, are a chosen generation. 1 Peter 2, 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So 
Since we are obedient to God, we come to him as a living stone. We're built up as a spiritual house. The consequence, amen, the consequence, the appointment for those that are obedient is that they become an established people. He calls them a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation, all these things. Now, because of that, we're appointed to be on the receiving end of God's mercy. Us who were not a people are now a people. And again, Peter is speaking backwards and referencing the Old Testament Scripture. In the Old Testament, some of these very same things of being a holy nation and a royal priesthood all pertain to Israel, how they would be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. But now Peter is using that same Old Testament terminology and he's relating it to the church of his generation. Look now where it was spoken in the Old Testament. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, this is as it pertained to Israel. He says, now therefore, this is important, if ye will obey, underline if, underline obey, my voice and keep, underline that, my covenant, then, so we have a condition here. If, obey, keep, then, ye shall be a peculiar treasure that's that peculiar people part that we read in the new testament scripture unto me above all people for all the earth is mine look obedience and keeping see when we come to the stone we accept the stone that everybody else is rejected we're appointed unto what peculiar treasure peculiar people holy nation but it is proper then to believe that if you do not do that the inverse of that is true if you're not obedient if you do not keep verse number six though and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests we are again. We are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Speaking of Israel, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Peter uses that Old Testament, all that phraseology, talking about how God was going to have a special people. He honed them out from all the other nations of the world. For that matter, they were not even a nation. He developed them from the, the seed of Abraham and said, Those are mine. That's my peculiar people, my treasure. And so then Peter is bringing all that terminology in the New Testament. He says, just as he honed him out a people among a people then, he's honing out a people among a people now, and he calls it his church. He calls it his chosen, his elect. He calls it his church. They're going to be a kingdom of priests, a peculiar treasure, a special people, just like Israel of old. Look at Hosea 2 and verse 23. This mercy and this people stuff. Again, this referred to Israel. And I will sow her in unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that's Israel that had not obtained mercy I will say to them that's Israel which were not my people thou art my people and they shall say thou art my God that was he says just like in Hosea God was saying to Israel you didn't have mercy from me but I'm giving it to you you were not a people to me but you're going to be a people to me he said now the church is in that road just like Old Testament Israel was he says and I'm going to give them mercy and they're going to be a people and I like though what Hosea said and they said and ye shall be our God I think we need to bellow out from our mouths in this generation God you're my God amen so, in the beginning of our little story a few weeks ago, five weeks namely, we started out how Peter was addressing all these different people that were scattered through Cappadocia, Bithynia, ta-ta-ta-ta, all these different places that we read of in the first two verses of this book. And he's calling all these scattered people chosen generation. Chosen generation. Generation. Genos in the Greek. Genos refers to a people descended from a common lineage. Now that ain't necessarily the case in the real natural world for all these people he's talking to that's scattered in these different places. They don't all didn't necessarily share coming from, descended from a common lineage. But on a spiritual level, that was true. Karen Job said it like this. From the conception of Christians... As a distinct race came the accusations that believers in Christ were haters of mankind. That's what happened. That's what happened with Old Testament Israel. And that is what is happening with New Testament church. Why again? Because the chosen people, the chosen people yoked up with the chosen stone. 
But that same stone was rejected by all men. And so when we come to verse number 11 of 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 rather, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, again, that's conduct, way of life, honest among the Gentiles, which Gentiles were usually anybody that was an unbeliever. All right? That whereas they speak against you, who? The church, the Christians. They speak against you as evildoers that, may, that they may, get it right, by your good works, the churches, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, let's walk through this just a little bit. Everybody doing all right? All right. My my <laughs> The living stone was rejected. We joined ourselves. We came, verse number 4 tells us, we came and joined with him, so we become rejected as well, kind of guilty by association. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, Peter said, look now, that the Gentiles, in verse 12, or the unbelievers, would speak against them as evildoers. The unbelievers would speak against the church. As evil doers. See, Christ was the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense to the unbelievers. And now, us, his lively stones, are spoken against as evil doers. But he said in verse 6 that we shall not be confounded, which means we shall not be shamed. We shall not be disgraced. Peter says then, I beseech you strangers and pilgrims. Why? Again, we have talked about this. We kind of set the whole umbrella when we first started this. We're strangers and pilgrims because when others rejected God and disallowed God, you accepted God and his word. It set you apart. It made you different. I couldn't. I had to. I just had to include. uh, I've been really enjoying here. Uh, jobs here along the way, some of the things that have been said, and this is what it was stated. Listen to me, and I'm just going to read it. The force of the comparison derives from the observation that foreigners in the ancient world, whether in residence or just passing through, did not fully participate in the customs and practices of the host culture. Foreigners had neither the privileges nor the responsibilities of citizens. Their foreignness was observable in ways that preserved their own volition, meaning their own personal conviction. And sometimes, because they were not legally entitled to participate in customs of the host society. In other words, their way of life was observable because sometimes they didn't participate in the customs of where they live because they had personal convictions, and other times they didn't participate in the things of where they live because there was legalities, there were laws that prohibited it. I almost said permitted it. (laughs) Prohibited it. So so there were some things that came about. So you're a stranger. Why? Because you don't act like us. You're a stranger. Why? You don't talk like us. You're a stranger. Why? You don't go where we go. You're a stranger. Why? You don't respond like we do to certain... And the thing is, I think it's important to undergird again, the thing is, it's not just... Rules and regulations that help make that difference. It was also personal convictions. Amen. And he says, so I'm talking to you because, listen, folks, in the first century, this was a very, very big thing that Christians were accused by Gentiles or unbelievers of doing things offensive to society, their society. Why? Because it didn't match what they did. Yes. Someone say amen. In other words, they did not like, or they did, we Christians, the church, did not live their lives like others. So they were attacked by those same people. 
But Peter tells them, church, Christians, he says, live your life. Let your conversation or your conduct and your behavior, let your life be honest. Why? So that whenever they call you an evildoer, they don't have anything to hang their hat on. Live your life pure, live your life honest, so that when they call you an evildoer, they are just speaking from their lips. It's an accusation with no founding. Well, someone say glory. There's a couple reasons that he told them in verse number 11 to abstain or literally to distance oneself from fleshly lust. Number one, stated right there for us in our scripture, because those type of things war against the soul. I'm really struggling, Brother McGee. Have you abstained lately? How many times do we involve ourselves in things that's detriment to our soul? And then we're doing this later. I don't know how it happens. I don't know why it's tempted. Self-destructive, yes. And so one of the things is we want to abstain from those. We want to distance ourselves. That was the literal translation of the Greek. Distance yourself. We, you know, we just all times tell, you know, young couples growing up, you know, it's, you know, years ago it was like, you know, you go to the crest of a hill and it's in the back seat and they made love. And then we just tell young couples, you know, you stay out of the back seat. You don't have to worry about all that garbage. Stay in well-lit places. What are you talking about? Distance yourself. Okay, amen, glory. But that can be applied to a lot of other areas besides young people and young love. Hallelujah. So, 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 because they war against your soul. Folks, wait, Jesse, we have enough problems living a pure life with warring against the soul, let alone inviting it. So you need, to, you need to distance yourself from those fleshly lusts. I like this. Fleshly lusts. Any uncurbed human impulses, including desire to be accepted by society. There's the big one. There's the big one. It's not just things that are wrong, but it's due to the peer pressure of where we live, feeling like we need to conform because there's too much pressure from society because we're not conforming. We're strangers. We're different. We're strange. And so a fleshly impulse may be the feeling of needing to do because everybody else is doing or needing to do because I feel like a, a, a square peg in a round hole. I'm telling you today, we need to keep from some of the things that the law prescribes, but we also need not to give in to the pressure of the society that we live in. I don't live for this world. I live for the world that is to come. Amen. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and I say, well, every value and every custom that happens down here in the world below today, it is all absolutely wrong and evil and malicious and... <clears throat> You better not even breathe the air, you know, outside of these four walls. No, I ain't going to tell you that at all. But I will tell you all those things that do take place where we live, we need to weigh against the word of God. And spiritual conviction. It might not all be wrong, but I guarantee you this is not all right either. So, so number one. These type of things war against us. So, number two, number two, why you need to be away from the, distance yourself from fleshly lust is because the Gentiles, unbelievers, absolutely are going to be accusatory toward you. And this seems to be the case since Peter's day until now. I'm not going to get into deep here, but let me just say that some of the supposed hate crimes and every other crime that's been mentioned at times toward Christianity is the case because some people are trying to hold up the integrity of God's word. Well, I knew it would be tight right there. But what it comes down to is you've identified with something that's been rejected by men. 
And you are the living target that still are here on the earth. Now, I'm not talking about people being belligerent. I'm not talking about people being, uh, uh, speaking the truth and a lot of stupidity. All right? I'm not talking about taking out a sword and wielding it and telling people, bless God, you're going to hell and all that garbage. That there is called stupidity in my opinion. You know, just because there is an argument going on doesn't mean that you need to ride that horse along with everybody else. But what I am saying is this, whenever we just state the plain virtues of the word of God and then labeled that we're some hate criminal, that, ladies and gentlemen, is he was rejected, you're rejected. J.H. Eliot said it like this. He said, a barrage of verbal abuse designed to demean, this is what we're facing, discredit and shame the believers as social and moral deviance endangering the common good. Oh, God help me. The reason why, the reason why that you may be targeted for saying that the practice of homosexuality is a sin in the sight of God is because it's accepted in the world. The reason why that you'll be pinpointed for saying that the taking of an unborn life is not proper in the sight of God and you'll be pinned for that is because it's accepted in the world. See, the, 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 the frame then of the world, the mentality of the world is different from yours, so you're strange. Even maybe more so because you're a minority. Well, glory. And so you get verbal abuse to try to discredit and demean you because you're some deviant. You're not going on with the flow of what the societal norm is. Someone say amen. What do you do? Let me ask you this. One writer I was reading this week said, well, what is it about strangers? You know what you do with strangers? You watch strangers closely. Oh, yeah. Somebody that's strange, not of your kind, of your people strange, you just kind of watch them closely. Mm-hmm. It's a common human trait. I mean, it is. It's like a default inside of humanity. If there, if there is, you know... If there's a stranger, you watch them closely. So let me tell you this. We are being watched. We are being watched. And so we got to be careful with our behavior. Reason again why Paul said having conversation or conduct that's honest among the Gentiles. You got to watch. Our, how many times have you heard? You're supposed to be a Christian. Boo! Right? You're supposed to be a Christian. Bless God. What's that prove? They're watching you. And they want to see if there's any incongruence. And it's amazing what they know a Christian should be and what they shouldn't be in that moment. I want to point out something. In our lives, Christian lives, church lives, we are observed on two fronts. Number one, we are observed by God. 1 Peter 1.17 told us, and since we are, thus we should pass our time here on the earth in fear or in reverence to him, because he does see. But number two, we are observed by the Gentiles. We are observed by the unbelievers, and so we, our conduct must be honest. Those two fronts are important. So important that if we go to the Old Testament, if I can lean on it tonight, we go to the Old Testament and we see what? David sinned with Bathsheba, right? David sinned with Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 20, or, 12 rather whenever we read about that in 2nd Samuel 12 this was not only a sin that was against God there's one observation but the Bible says it was also he also then in doing so gave an occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme what because there were two observations here not just what God was looking at but what those that were unbelievers were looking at the Bible says in 2nd Samuel 12 verse 14 how be it because by this deed, his adultery, thou hast given great occasion to the, enemy, to the enemies, almost said M&Ms, to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. That don't sound too bad, actually, right now. 
The child also that is born into thee shall surely die. So there's two fronts you're being observed on. The God side is observing, but also those that are not a part of what you're a part of is observing. Amen? So, here's people. The church. Remember he told them to leave their vain conversations, their vain traditions, rather, in the first chapter That's us. We're born again. We're leaving the vain traditions, the empty, useless traditions. And now we look at verse number 12 here. And now we are practicing good works. I want to read this to you. And we'll we'll, we'll head toward the close. They, look at verse 12 again. The Gentiles, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, they're observing. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now here it is. Here's the concept. Here's the concept, the idea. That by the church's good works, by their proper conduct, even when they're attacked and spoken against as being evildoers, that the people that are saying this because of your good works, although they're throwing all this garbage on you, they're hate people and they're blah, blah, blah. They will look at you, and they will come. This is what this is all really summing up, that they will glorify God in the day of visitation, that they will come to know God as you know God, and that they'll be ready to meet him whenever it's time for him to come. That's what it all comes down to. We got to live our lives in such a way, because the Bible says that we need to shoot forth the praises of the one who has brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. It's like what Matthew 5 talks about, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. You know what's going on? You want to live your life in such a way that accusations come, accusations come, they say hateful things about you, and you continue living your life so that so it causes a change in their heart. How can they do this when they're being bombarded by this? How can they do this when they're being rejected by us so that it causes a change in them that they become who you are? So that whenever Christ comes back, you're not going alone, but because of the way you lived and conducted yourself, it had influence on the Gentiles that the unbeliever becomes a believer because of your conduct and way of life. So, not only is the living stone possibly a stepping stone or a stumbling stone, you have joined in that rank of either being a stepping stone or a stumbling stone for others. Amen. Because when it talks about, we go backwards. When we go back up to like verse number nine, when he talks about being a royal priesthood and a holy nation, shooting forth the praises, shooting forth the praises, that's not just regulated to some type of verbal expression. Because we read even in verses number uh, 5 about being this holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. Again, that's, just not, that's, that's not something necessarily verbal. It also encompasses how we live our life. So when we want to shoot forth the praises of him, it's not just, well, glory, hallelujah, God's been so good. It's in our conduct. It's in our everyday living. You want to shoot forth the praises of him that brought you out of darkness into marvelous light? That's not just by your testimony. That's by how you live. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing today, Brother McGee, outside of these four walls? And however, you know, I may be conducting my life, I'm shooting forth the praises of him that's called me out of darkness into light. What? Yes, sir. How so? Because they're speaking against me as an evildoer. But I'm just maintaining my step. And I'm staying in alignment with the living stone. They rejected him, they're going to reject me. And I'm hoping if I can stay this course, they're going to have a change of heart. And the very thing that they reject now, perhaps they'll embrace tomorrow because I've shoot forth the praise. Here we go, and I end with this, if you'll stand with me. So you're being spoken against as an evildoer. You know what Peter's advice was for being spoken against as an evildoer? You know what his advice was? Conduct yourself. Do your good works. Do your good life. Why are you saying that, Remedy? Because I think this is important to kind of put over here in our minds. 
Peter did not, this would have been a really good place for him to do it, but he didn't come out and say it, that whenever you are spoken against as an evildoer, he didn't say that's your time to practice self-defense. I'm, you know what he said? He said what I try to tell us around here all the time. Sometimes when that stuff comes, you know what you do? You just live your life. And time will be the revealer of all things. You just, amen. Hallelujah. If we embow our heads here this evening, hallelujah. Stumbling block, stumbling stone or stepping stone. God can be this, but we also can mirror that ourselves in our real world, in our real life. Father, I come to you right now. I need you, Jesus, today. Lord, I do not, Lord, want to join the masses of rejecting the living stone as other men have rejected the living stone. But God, help me, Lord, to enter into that household of God, Lord, that embraces, Lord, the stone that was rejected by men but was chosen by God. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, help us, Lord, in our walk. Help us, God, in our manner and in our way of life, O oh Lord Jesus, I pray. God, I don't want to be stumbling around because I've been disobedient to your word. Help me, God, I pray, Lord, to embrace both, both you and your word. Help me to understand I'll grow and I'll prosper, Lord, by that word. I'll be built up into a spiritual house by that word. Help me, Lord God, to be careful, Lord, with my manner of life in this life in which I am a stranger that people are scrutinizing and looking very closely at. Help me, Lord, to watch my conduct here below because I have the observation of heaven and I have the observation, Lord Jesus, of earth upon me. Lord, and our desires, God, that we could live in such a way that it would have an impact, God, upon those, Lord, that do not yet believe, upon those yet God that are in the balance concerning their belief. God, they have their doubts and their uncertainties. I pray, oh Lord, today help us to live the way that you want us to live, oh God. Oh Lord, I wouldn't want to be identified with anything else but you. Lord, the rejection is just for a short time here below. But Lord, to be chosen of heaven, God, there's nothing, God, that can compare to that. There's nothing, God, that can replace that. Lord, we want to be, Lord Jesus, everything, God. Everything, God. We want to be the stepping stones for other people's lives. We want to, oh Lord, help us to be obedient, Lord. Obedient, Lord. Help us to shoot forth your praises, Lord. Help us to be that generation that's been plucked out, honed out, a people among the people, Lord, that's set aside for the Lord, I pray, Jesus, today. God, will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, as you enable us, God, as we abstain, as we distance ourselves from things that we know without doubt are incorrect and that personal conviction is impressed upon our heart, God, that, Lord, could possibly come to a place of mastering us. We will not, Lord, be mastered by any, Lord, because if it's the master that makes us the slave, and we can't, Lord, live like that. We only have one master, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Brother Mace, can we just sing a little bit of something here as we close here tonight? I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.